0: Well, today we're going to be working through the second part of our series on overcoming discouragement. And here's the thing about this series that I just want to clue everybody in real quickly here. This series is definitely not really three parts, it's really one long conversation. So if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the message from last week, either you were not here, you were on vacation, or maybe you fell asleep during it, that happens from time to time, whatever the issue, or whatever the reason is, make sure you've had a chance to listen either in person or through podcasts, listen to the message from last week. It will set up some foundational elements and foundational discussion points that we're going to be talking about today. In fact, I would argue that if you don't have a chance to do that, your conversation today and next week with this issue of discouragement will be impoverished. Why should we talk about discouragement? Let me just give sort of the overview real quick. Why should we even talk about discouragement? Discouragement is one of those things where we face we all face. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what goes on in our lives, but we all face discouragement. Discouragement is one of those things that is universal. As we talked about last week, in fact, do Christians face more discouragement or less discouragement than non-Christians? Well, I would argue that Christians overall face more discouragement than non-Christians. And by the way, we can argue that from the Bible. The thing is, is that Hollywood and TV Christianity and even sometimes bookstore Christianity gives us the sense that we can have our best moment, our best life, our best whatever right now. And everything can be perfect and everything can be hunky-dory. But the truth is, is that when we really become mature followers of Jesus, that the world has nothing in store for us other than discouragement, Because the world does not want us to follow Christ. It wants us to follow ourselves or it, but not follow Christ. So overcoming discouragement. How do we deal with the issues of discouragement? Our three-week series then is saying no to discouragement. We don't want discouragement. We want to get it out of there. We want to say no to it. How do we do that? Well, let me give you a warning. Oh, let me do our strategy, and then there's a warning in there. Here's our strategy. Last week, we talked about the sources of discouragement, and we looked at several different biblical passages, and we looked at the fact that when we look at when we consider discouragement, that we could see physical discouragement, emotional discouragement, and spiritual discouragement all within the pages of the Bible. For example, last week we talked about physical discouragement, and we talked about Paul, who always had lots of physical issues that he was dealing with. He was shipwrecked. He was being beaten. He didn't get enough sleep. He didn't get enough to eat. He had a lot of physical discouragements that were in his life that was discouraging him and keeping him from serving God to the point where he really wanted to. Of course, we may say, well, wait a minute, wasn't Paul like a superstar? He was. But Paul, even as a superstar for the Lord, he still faced discouragement in his life. Many of us will face physical discouragement. We're not going to talk about this anymore after the intro this week and the intro next week. But physical discouragement is something that we oftentimes, a lot of us face. It's not the major source of discouragement, but when we don't eat properly, we don't sleep properly. I'm guilty of both of those sometimes. Sometimes our blood sugar gets messed up. Sometimes we have a thyroid that goes crazy. There's other reasons why we will have physical discouragement in our lives. And so if that happens to you, address the problem. Go see a doctor. Do what you need to do to make sure that you eliminate physical source of discouragement. But then what do we do about emotional discouragement and spiritual discouragement? Well, today we're going to talk about overcoming emotional discouragement. Overcoming emotional discouragement. And here's the thing. Some of you are like, hey, this is cool. I can go to sleep this morning because I'm not discouraged. But let me just ask you not to do that. Here's the reason why. Even if you are not presently discouraged this morning... You will face discouragement at some point in your life. More importantly, there are people that you know, friends, family members, coworkers, who have discouragement in their lives. Whatever truth you can get from the messages this, last week, this week, and next week, take those truths and help people, minister to them, help them through their discouragement, even if they're, co- if they're your coworkers. Your coworkers need your love. I know they're your coworkers and you really don't like them, but they need your love. They need your encouragement just as much as anybody else in the world. So store away whatever tidbits of truth you can find, store them away like squirrels do the nuts at winter, and then use them as a way to minister to other people, even if you are not presently discouraged right now. But the truth is, is that I know statistically 30, 40% of us are actively discouraged even this Sunday morning. So it'll hit home for some of us. Today, emotional discouragement. Here's my warning. Discouragement is a big topic. We can't possibly cover all of it. I may not, you may be discouraged. I may totally not speak to your discouragement. I'm sorry if that's the case, but it's impossible to take such a huge topic and distill it down into 30 minutes of blah, blah, blah um, in any type of way that will transform your life. However, I can hit the high points And I can give you some things to think about and some things to apply to your life as you're dealing with emotional discouragement. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look and see what the Bible says in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. So if you want to open up your Bibles or your iPhones, whatever it is, if you want to open it up to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to look at this. Now, as you're opening up, let me mention something about Luke chapter 18. The thing is, is the Bible does not really give a 12-step process to dealing with discouragement you know why the reason is is because people in the ancient world didn't think the same way that we do about things the ancient world people in the ancient world did not have discouragement because of their commute they didn't commute they didn't have discouragement because their coworker was trying to steal their annual bonus they didn't have coworkers. not really they had slaves and they had masters and that was it the the ancient world thought process about discouragement was a bit different than us So the reason why the Bible doesn't have a very clear, systematic, you know, here's your take it right here, go with it, approach to discouragement is because the issues that people in the ancient world were dealing with were different than us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a passage that deals with justice And we're going to apply the truths of the passage about justice to discouragement. Why are we going to do this? I'll tell you why. Because the passage about justice deals with a person who was upset and discouraged that they did not get justice in the face of their enemies. What were some of the things that discouraged people in the ancient world? We're discouraged by our commute. We're discouraged by rude people in the mall. We're discouraged by our aunt who won't leave us alone about losing weight. We're discouraged about these kind of things. What were people in the ancient world discouraged about? Well, a tribe of marauding killers who would come by and burn their little thatch hut and kill all their family and steal their goats and sheep. Now, how many of you worry about uh, a roving brand of marauders stealing your goats and sheep and killing your family? Anybody here this morning? No, not Really? Maybe some of you are like, I live in a city, maybe I do. Okay, but most of us, that's not our primary concern. So we have to extrapolate from the ancient world the issues that they were dealing with to understand the issues that we are dealing with. This story is about a lady who did not have justice done to her, and Christ relates the story to explain how we should respond in the face of enemies and in the face of injustice because she was discouraged because of those things. We're going to extrapolate it and talk about how we deal with discouragement in the face of not as much enemies, but more things of living in the modern world. Okay, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Here we go. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. In other words, we want to focus on God and not give up, even when we face discouragement or problems or issues in our lives. There was a judge in a certain city, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Okay, so he's not a nice guy. Doesn't like God, doesn't like people. Some of you know people like that. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Now the judge ignored her for a while because it's just some dumb old woman who's nagging him. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me nuts. I want her out of my court. I want her to stop nagging me. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. She was nagging the judge so much, he said, I don't care anymore. Fine, I don't care about justice. I just want her to leave me alone. So I'm going to do what she wants just so she will leave me alone. Then the Lord Jesus said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. In other words, Jesus is saying here, listen, how much more so will God grant justice to us? How much more so will God grant encouragement to us when we face enemies and we face injustice as an unjust judge will to a lady who nags him? Okay, a couple ideas here this morning. You'll notice that in your handout, in your bulletin, it actually has number one, number two, number three. The reason why it's numerical this morning is because these points, these ideas are kind of in order. How we should probably attack discouragement, emotional discouragement in our lives. Number one is to identify your discouragement. Identify your discouragement. Listen, the lady in this story, she did not go to the judge and say, I have been robbed. I have been, had injustice done to me. And then that was it. She came with a specific request. She came from a, with a specific issue of injustice that happened to her. If she had just come and just broadly said, I've been robbed. There's an injustice done to me. I have enemies. There would be nothing that the judge could then do on her behalf. She had to actually explain to the judge what the injustice was and then nag him repeatedly over and over and over again. That was the only way the judge would be able to respond to the injustice done to her and be able to respond to get her to leave him alone and stop nagging her. In the same way, if we want to begin the road of healing and we want to overcome discouragement in our lives, we need to identify the source of the discouragement. It doesn't help us to be at a place where we're like, I feel bad, but I don't know why. Imagine if you went to a doctor and you went to the doctor, medical doctor, and you said, I feel bad. And the doctor says, where do you feel bad at? I don't know. Why don't you guess? That wouldn't work very well, right? Now, of course, we can argue, as we'll talk about in a minute, that God is sovereign and he knows the source of discouragement, but we're going to talk about why it is that we still need to identify our source of discouragement. Now, Let me just begin by mentioning a couple sources, common sources of emotional discouragement that we face. This is not going to be all the sources, but these are going to be a couple of them that many of us will will see or encounter. Number one is out-of-whack priorities. We talked about this last week. How? Let's talk about an out-of-whack priority. Many of us are tempted to make our job our number one priority. But is our job an emotional drain on our lives or an emotional builder in our lives? Does it drain our emotions or does it build our emotions and our esteem up? Which one does our job do? Drains. Our job is an emotional drain. I don't care what you do. Listen, I'm a pastor and many of you, I don't know what you think I do for a living, but really I do work more than an hour a week. Oh, three hours because I have three services, right? So I work about three hours a week and the rest of the time it's holy sainted me praying and sitting at the throne of God, but no, that's not really my job. My job is unfortunately a lot of administrative baloney, fighting with the city and getting, trying to get things done and taxes. And I mean, Verly helps out a lot with that, but I still have a lot of admin and financial baloney to deal with. So that's, that's part of my job. Is that fun? No. Does that emotionally help me or does that emotionally damage me, drain me? It drains me. It drains me. And so no matter what our job is, Our jobs will emotionally drain us. And so when we put our job number one, what does it do? We have something that drains us on top. What happens if we put God priority in our lives? Does God build us up or does God drain us? God builds us up. And so when we have a builder at the top of the list and we have draining down here, we become what? More emotionally built up rather than drained. So out-of-whack priorities can really be a source of emotional discouragement. Enemies, again, not all of us have regular enemies, although we talked last week about frenemies. You guys know what frenemies are. We have some of those. We have other issues with enemies. We have relatives who are enemies, but they're not really enemies because we love them. But what about negative relationships? This could be a source of emotional discouragement. What's a negative relationship? A negative relationship is with someone who drains us emotionally. How should relationships, healthy relationships, work? Healthy relationships work that there should be some type of peer relationship. Like, let's say that Shane is my friend. We're not really friends, but let's just assume for a second he is my friend. If we were actually friends, then our relationship would work like what? Sometimes I would be discouraged, and those times he would help me a little bit and make me feel better. And then when he's discouraged, I would help him and make him feel better, right? But that's not the way a lot of times relationships work. A lot of times we have someone who does what? Always is the one who feels worse than us and is always, you know, okay, you know, I need this and I need that. You have some needy friends perhaps. Now, here's the question that comes into play. What do you do with someone who is really emotionally broken, really emotionally damaged? How do you tell that they are? Well, first of all, you can never fill them up emotionally. What do they do? What's their relationship with you like? It's kind of like symbiotic, right? They live off you. They suck you dry all the time, and then you're like, I can't give anymore, and they come back to you and say, what, thank you? No, they keep on sucking more and more out of you. And so what happens is, is that when we have a negative relationship in our lives, it is important that we identify that negative relationship and deal with it. Does it mean that we cut that person off? Well, not always, but it can mean that. It certainly can mean that it may mean that you have to have good boundaries in your relationship with that person. What about poor decision-making? Uh, one of the things I do in my job is counsel, and I do a lot of that. And you know, just even the last couple weeks, there's been several people I've counseled that make bad decisions. Not only do they make bad decisions, but when I talk to them, I say, okay, you're getting ready to make this decision. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, do you think it's a good decision or bad decision? They're like, well, it feels good. I'm like, okay, good decision or bad decision? All right, it's a bad decision. So what are you gonna do? Make the good decision or bad decision? I'm going to make the bad decision. Really? At least you're honest. I appreciate honesty, but you're still making a really, really, really bad decision. Poor decision making will ultimately lead to emotional discouragement. Why? Because it feels good in the moment to make the, the bad decision, but over time, that um, that that decision does what? It just haunts us and eats at us, and and doesn't provide us any rest or any encouragement. What about unhelpful critical thoughts? You know, if you walk into Save Mart or Safeway and you see ladies, right, you see the Cosmo magazine and the models and they have size negative one dresses on, right, negative one, because it was zero and they photoshopped it, negative one. First service laughed, they thought it was funny, okay, maybe not, I thought it was funny. Whatever, tiny stick figures, and, and we think to ourselves, what? I mean, I don't, but we think to ourselves, I don't because I'm not a lady, We think to ourselves, what, man, if only I looked like that, if only I had this, if only I had that. And all these critical thoughts come into our minds and they discourage us. By the way, does the enemy want us to have good thoughts or does the enemy want us to have critical thoughts? He wants us to have critical thoughts because the more unhelpful and the more critical thoughts there are, the more we are out of the game. Uh, Unhealed wounds. This is a big issue for a lot of people. I would guess that 40% of BVC now, BVC is what we call walking wounded. What is a walking wounded person? A walking wounded person is a person who has been hurt emotionally at some point in time in their lives and then they believe the lie of what? Time heals all wounds and so over time the wound did what? Did it go away? No. just got scabbed over, a big nasty scab, big nasty scar there. You know how you're walking wounded? You know how? Because anybody brings up any subject related to that, you're like super defensive, ready to go. Why? Because it never healed to begin with never healed to begin with. Unhealed wounds are a big source of emotional discouragement. And until you allow the great physician, God, to heal the wound in your life, it's always going to be there and it's never going to go away. Time heals nothing, nothing, nothing. Just living in the world. You could be the most awesome, mature, adjusted, affirmed person in the world and you're still going to face emotional discouragement. You know why? Because we are broken people and we live in a broken world. And by the way, If you seek after Christ, the more you seek after Christ, the more discouragement you will face because the more at odds with the world you will become based upon the lifestyle choices and the vision and the wholeness that God wants to bring into your life. Okay, let's break it down. Number one, spend time alone discovering the real source. Again, the lady in the parable here, she did what? She didn't just go to the judge and say, I have had an injustice done to me. No, she went very specifically and nagged him about the injustice that was in her life. I was robbed by this guy. I was robbed by this guy. I want justice. I was robbed by this guy. This guy cut me off at the stoplight. This guy cut me off at the stoplight. This guy cut me off at the stoplight. I want justice. She kept nagging him and nagging him knowing specifically what it was. For us to be... to be healed of emotional discouragement, we must be willing to spend time alone discovering the real source. Now, here's the key word. Every week, I make you fill in the blanks. Alone. That's the key word. You cannot go spend time at Starbucks getting yourself a latte and spending 30 seconds before you rush off to work to think about this issue. That's not going to bring about the type of introspection and reflection that you need to be able to figure out what it is that caused the brokenness to come into your life. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but we want to be able to take this issue of brokenness, we want to be able to take it to God. We want to be able to tell God, this is what's broken with me. Why is that? Why don't we just say, God, you know what's wrong with me. I don't need to spend any time reflecting on it. You know what's wrong with me. Well, it's in the nature of how God heals. We'll bring that up in just a second. So we need to spend time alone discovering the real source. What is it? Is it because I've been wounded in the past? Is it because I haven't forgiven? Is it because I have an issue that I haven't dealt with? Is it because I keep making the same poor decisions over and over again? What is the source of, of emotional discouragement in my life? What is it I need to know? Most people, a lot of people will stumble at this one thing. They don't want to look in the mirror. Why? Because when you look in the mirror in your life, you see warts, you see nose hair, you see ear hair, you see the things you don't want to see. Nothing drives me more crazy than my wife says, you have an ear hair. That's so disgusting. You are getting old and you need to deal with that right now. That's disgusting. (laughs) It's just like, I can't believe I have ear hair now. I think even babies have ear hair. I think like every human does. So it makes me paranoid. So I want to look in the mirror and make sure because I'm vain. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not vain. But I want to make sure I don't have ear hair. And we want to make sure that we don't have emotional discouragement in our life. Spend time alone discovering the real source. Number two is this. Find one to two wise people to help locate the problem. What's our key word here this morning? One or two wise people. Listen, your bartender is not a wise person. The barista in Starbucks is not a wise person. You can tell the barista all day long that you have an emotional problem and what do they think. And you know what? They're going to give you an answer, but it's not going to be a wise answer. No offense against Starbucks baristas, but they're not trained to give you a wise answer. Listen, your old aunt Jane may not be a wise person. Most people in the world are not wise. If you ask people, are they wise, everyone's going to say, yes. yes. But when you actually find people who are wise, you hold onto them like a treasure. Wisdom is not something that's common in our world. For you to talk to a few people and figure out what the emotional issue is in your life, you need to choose wisely. You need to choose a wise person. Now, let me break this down in two ideas here. First of all is this. When you talk to a person and ask them, listen, I've got some emotional struggles in my life. I've been discouraged. Can you help me diagnose the problem so I can go to God and really just get a maximum impact here, just overcome discouragement? And they tell you something that does what? They tell you something that makes you feel good. Was it a wise response or not? You go to someone and you tell them, I'm facing emotional discouragement. And they say, well, I think the problem is blank. And when they tell you that it makes you feel better, does that mean that was the right answer or the wrong answer? The wrong answer. You know why? Because when you find out whatever it is the source of emotional discouragement in your life, it's not going to make you feel better, it's going to make you feel worse. Because pain doesn't make people feel better, it makes people feel worse. So you could tell a wise person right there because a wise person tells you things you don't want to hear but you know to be true. Unwise people tell you things that you want to hear because they want to be your friend. You know, Noel and I watched a crazy movie last night, and I didn't mention this first service, but in in the movie, the heroine of the movie lied, told little white lies all throughout the movie to make the, the, the bad guy turn into a good guy, basically. And it worked in the movie. And when I got done, I was so frustrated, and Noel and I had a little, not an argument, but I was like, that's baloney, because that's not the way life is. You don't lie to people over and over again with little white lies and have it turn out good. When you lie to people over and over again with little white lies, it turns out destructive. Over and over again, it turns out destructive. And, and you know what? The thing is, is that our society is not geared towards helping you. Our society is geared towards other situations. Why do people on TV want to help you? Is it to help you or is it primarily to make money? Let's be honest. Now, I'm not saying they can't help you some, But let's look even at Christian books. Christian books, we go down to Brian Christian bookstore. Those books are in there to do what? To help you? That's their second reason they're in that bookstore. Number one reason is to make money. That's the honest truth. My publisher wants to make money more than anything else. They put out a lot of great stuff, but at the end of the day, they're there to make money. They're a for-profit company. So famous people cannot help you. Successful people cannot help you. The only people who can help you are wise people. People, and by the way, wisdom comes from knowing God and knowing him intimately. So only wise people are going to help you isolate the problem. Not your Starbucks barista, not your old Aunt Sally, although age did not make wisdom either, okay? Okay. So find one to two wise people to help you locate the problem. Number two is to ask God to help or heal you. Ask God to help you and to heal you. Listen, what is the whole point of this story here? The whole point is this lady had injustice done to her. She was unhappy. She was discouraged. She was angry because she had injustice. And so she said, I'm going to just shove it all inside and I'm not going to deal with it because that helps things. Take it and shove it down inside and not deal with it because that solves problems. Well, you would think it solves problems by the way most people act because that's what most people do is just take the problem and shove it down inside. Now, what did she do? She did what? She went to the judge and said, I want to be healed. I want justice. I want this to be fixed. I want this problem to be solved. And of course, Jesus tells us if a unjust judge is willing to listen to the cries and the pleas of a little old lady, how much more is a just God willing to listen to you or I when we cry out to him? for help and encouragement in our lives. Now, number three is to ask God repeatedly to heal you in your distress. This comes into the whole issue of why do we need to ask God? Why not just God know? I mean, I face encouragement, God knows, so I don't really need to do anything. God's just gonna heal me. That's that's what should happen. We would like for that to happen. The problem is, is that as we talk about healing, and as many of you know here, a lot of times the church confuses healing with magic. Magic and healing are not the same thing. Look at it this way. I am emotionally discouraged. Here I am. Look at me. I'm emotionally discouraged, right? God, heal me. God waves the magic wand. Oh, pixie dust. Woo. Come down. Ah, Right? On me. And now suddenly, I'm healed. Awesome. Now, let's notice something about this process. This is the process that we all want. Emotionally discouraged. Emo- sorry. Emotionally discouraged. Pixie dust. Right? And then over here, now I'm healed. What's wrong with that? Why is that a bad process for us? Even though we, that's what we want. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a major surgery? Who's here? Don't, you want to raise your hand. HIPAA, HIPAA. Okay, sorry, HIPAA. If you don't know what that is, that's the the law that says you can't talk about anything public. I don't want you to sue me. Just kidding. Uh, Not kidding, but seriously. Okay, so major surgery. Have you had a major surgery? If you've had any type of surgery other than outpatient surgery, what happens? When you wake up from that surgery, you're like, doctor, thank you. Nurse, thank you. Oh, I feel, it's so great to be alive. How many of you who have ever had a major surgery ever went back to the hospital thank that doctor ever after that time? None of you. None of you have ever done it. I never did. You don't. Why not? Because the day after you're healed, you're like, woo I'm going to go to Starbucks and talk to the priest about my problems. Everything's great. It's awesome. I'm going to go tell my old aunt Sally, she don't know what's going on. Stick it in your ear. That's what's going to happen. When we're magically healed, we forget about, we quickly, quickly, within a matter of moments or hours, we forget about the work that went into it. We forget to thank the person who did it. God doesn't want to magically heal us for several reasons, one of which is it's not relational. God wants us to know Him and be known by Him. He wants relationship with us. He knows that if He just waves the magic wand and makes everything right, there won't be any relation because we'll just be like, see you later, God, because everything's cool now. We don't need you anymore. And by the way, since we brought on the emotional discouragement ourselves in one shape, form, or another, he wants us to work through it. Notice that really, when you get down into the original language of the Bible, the Bible doesn't speak of us being healed. That's actually a myth. But it speaks of us being made whole. And there's a difference. Because being healed... Is us being made physically well. But being made whole is a complete transformation physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. God desires for us to be whole. To be whole. Not simply for us to be healed. And for us to be healed, it's too easy for us to be like, yeah, hey, I don't feel discouraged anymore, God. I'm done. I'm good. I don't need to go to church anymore. I don't need to go to the doctor anymore. I'm good. And so God desires for it to be relational, for us to know him. Ask God repeatedly to heal you in your stress. Now, when you ask God repeatedly, what happens? Is it a mantra? Is it, our father, our father, our father, our father, our father, our father? Is it that? Is that what it's supposed to be? No. The little old lady didn't go, judge, (laughs) judge, 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 judge. That's not what happened. She went, every day, she went, judge, I need you to do this. Judge, I need you to do this. Judge, I need you to do this. And in the same way, we need to communicate with God over and over again that this is what we want. We want to be able to go before him and say, God, please do this in my life. Please do this in my life. There's a whole host of reasons why this is better. I hit two or three. But suffice it to say that when we work with God to end the discouragement, it will end for good. You know, when medicine magically cures us, uh, let me just ask it like this, without hurting anybody's feelings here. How many of you know someone? Don't point any fingers. Who like had high blood, whatever, cholesterol, something or other? They weren't supposed to eat anything. So they stopped eating everything, and then when their blood, everything went fine. They went and did what? Pigged out. It's the same thing. Listen, God doesn't want you to just feel better tomorrow. He wants you to be made whole again, and there's a very big difference. One is easy. One is hard. What God wants is hard. What you want is easy. I tell my son why all the time. He'll, I'll say, do this. I'll, I'll say, do that. You know, he's learning guitar. He can play the E minor chord. He's almost, play the E minor chord. This is awesome, right? Because he's only like almost five. So he's like learning. And he's like, dad, it's so hard to do this. And I'm like, listen, anything in life that's worth doing is, is going to be what? Hard. And you know, it's not always true, but a lot of times that is true. It is hard. Number four, study the lives of David, Job, and Joseph. Now, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't have a systematic treatment of emotional discouragement, but there are tons of discouraged people in the Bible, starting with David, Job, Joseph. Listen, I want you to do me a favor. See all these little numbers in the Bible? Some of you know this, but listen. All those little numbers in the Bible, rip them out of your Bible. They were added 1,000 years afterwards, and they hurt you when it comes to this. Reading one little verse and thinking about it is not going to move you from being a baby Christian. Baby Christian is read one verse, reflect on it. That's baby Christian. We want to be mature Christians. What do mature Christians do? Mature Christians read the whole life story. Yes, it may take more than five minutes. It could take a half an hour. I'm sorry. Read the whole thing. Understand what happened in Job's life, in David's life, in Joseph's life. You will see how these men and women, but you have to read the whole story. Read it in context. Understand why are those people, why is David in the Bible? Well, we know that David's in the Bible, probably number one. Well, number one, we know David's in the Bible do what? come on, you guys are not that asleep. What's the the right answer? Glorify God. Of course, that's number one. That's the the answer to every question. Okay, But beyond that, David's in there also because he explains the anointing factor of Jesus Christ. But David's also in the Bible. Why? Because we learn a lot from his life. David did a lot of dumb things. Decision-making was bad for David. So we read about David. We understand how to make better decisions in our lives and our lives are changed. So it's important for us to study the lives of David, Job, Joseph, Ruth, Ruth's mom, whoever it was who overcame. Hebrews 12 says this: "So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong." What's the Bible saying? The Bible saying is, "Wait for the magic wand. No. The Bible's saying is, "Make the path know where you're going, get it clear in your mind so that you can walk along the path and you will be healed and encouraged when you do it. How do you do that? You gotta know what the problem is. You gotta to go to God, go to wise people, get, this, get the answer and then you gotta learn, you gotta study the Bible, figure out what it is, that how other people accomplished it, how other people wrestled through it. Turn it over to God and make sure you've got a path for healing in this way. Number three, real quickly, this is not touched on in the story but it is true Um, when it deals with emotional discouragement rather than just injustice. Real quickly here is be willing to forgive past hurts. I know that one of the biggest problems we face is the inability to forgive. The Bible tells us that if we can't forgive other people, God will not forgive us. It's critical that we are willing to forgive. If we cannot forgive, it is an emotional drain on our lives that will drain us every single day until the day we die. Number five is put God's word in your mind, not critical thoughts. Again, a lot of times we go around life and we think, I just, I stink, I suck, I'm terrible, I, uh, uh And we just are drained and drugged down by the terrible things that we tell ourselves. I can't do ministry, nobody loves me, I don't have any friends. You have a friend in Jesus, right? I say that facetiously. Because we don't many times, because we don't have that kind of relationship with Him, because we just come and attend the service. Put God's word in word in your mind, not your critical thoughts. Well, how do we do this? What do we do? We actually have to know God's word well enough that we're actually able to tell us and remind ourselves that. I mean, some of us, if we have a bad thought, we just tell ourselves, you know, I can do all things through Christ who will strengthen me in that. Or whatever it is, pick whatever verse it doesn't matter. It can be Deuteronomy 25, 26. I don't care. Pick it, whatever. Put it in your mind. Focus on what God would have for you in your life rather than what you would have. Put those critical thoughts. We're going to talk more about this next week. Number six, forgive and ask forgiveness on a daily basis. What's my key word here? Daily, right? Look at this. Forgive and ask forgiveness once a year. Forgiveness is something that you have to do on a regular basis. If not you will not get anywhere in the emotional discouragement thing. Why? Because people hurt you all the time. People are emotionally, whether they mean to or not, it's not an intentional thing, but people are always draining us emotionally. They're always saying things to hurt us. They're always saying things to attack us. We have far more enemies than we have friends. That's the nature of what it's like to live in the modern world. It's just the fact that even good, intentioned people can be an emotional drain on us. Even our family can be an emotional drain on us. And that's why it's important that on a daily basis, we're willing to forgive other people. I know some of you, when I have the moment of silence during prayer, where we have forgiveness time, you guys go to sleep. I know how it is. You know, it's like 30 seconds, nobody's talking. You know, you're right out. When I watch a kid's movie with my kids and my wife, I'm telling you what, 30 seconds after the movie starts, I'm gone to the world. It's just, I I don't know what it is. And yet... Well, I know what it is. Workaholism. That's what it is. How about let's just identify what the problem is. Okay, there you go. So forgive and ask forgiveness on a daily basis becomes absolutely critical for us. And by the way, forgiveness is, again, not forgetting. Forgetting doesn't do anything. It doesn't solve anything. When you forgive, what is what you're supposed to do? When someone hurts you or when you have emotional discourage, you forgive and you set it aside. Listen, If somebody is rude to you and hurts you, you don't forget it. No, because you don't want to keep letting them do that to you. If somebody yells at you, don't forget it so they'll yell at you tomorrow. Instead, you need to forgive them and set it aside, knowing that God will deal with it. When someone wounds you and someone hurts you deeply, you can never recover from that completely. I'm sorry, we can debate counseling theory and stuff like that, but the bottom line is, if you've had physical abuse or sexual abuse in your life, there's, you're, this side of heaven, it's going to stay with you. It's going to stay with you. But you know what? It doesn't have to change you, and it doesn't have to drag you down. Why? Because you can be healed, and you can be forgiven. You can be made whole again and put it aside. It'll always be there, but it can be out of your life, and it can not affect your life anymore if you choose to allow God to restore you in that way. And number seven, of course, quickly, is to have the courage to see a counselor as needed. Listen, there are people, I'm not saying every counselor out there is good but far and away. What do you need to do? Find a wise counselor. If a person's not a Christian, it's probably not a good idea, but there are some, some wise counselors who are not believers. But a lot of times us guys, we're like, yeah, we have emotional discouragement, but I'm never going to go to a counselor. I'm never going to go to the pastor and talk to him about my problems. Why is that really wimpy and not courageous? Well, because a wimp is someone who's scared to do something. And being scared to deal with an issue in your life is the definition of wimpy. Let me just admit, I'm a man, I'm wimpy at times because, you know, I would have a hard time going to counselor when problems entered in my life because I'm the pastor. But I know that that's a lie that I've taught myself over the years. So if it gets too great for you to handle make sure you go to someone who is wise and professional and who has experience in helping people. Listen, for example, there's are certain areas of counseling that I do, certain areas of counseling that Noel does, that just over time, you just get so good at identifying the problem and identifying the solution that it becomes very easy to show people how they have to do to improve this. It doesn't mean they will do it, but it just means that over time, that professionals have experience and can help with this. All right, let me just wrap up here. Actually, we're not really gonna wrap up because next week we're gonna just dive right into this issue. But listen, God's desire, let me summarize by saying, God's desire for your life is for you to be whole. Wholeness cannot really 100% come in this world because we live in a broken world and it's always trying to emotionally attack us and emotionally drain us. And you can't escape that. No matter how much positive thinking, no matter how much Oprah you watch, it doesn't matter because you're gonna have Emotional discouragement in your life; those kind of things aren't going to help you anyway. Overcome this emotional discouragement. The only thing that will help you overcome emotional discouragement is God, who is the source of healing. More importantly, the source of wholeness and the source of encouragement, positive encouragement in our lives. For us to go to God, God doesn't want to just wave the magic wand and us be done with Him. That's disrespectful to Him. That's not the way life works. What He wants us to do is go to Him, have a relationship with Him, and then work through the problem together so that we will, have, we will be His child. We will be His son. We will be able to walk in His path. And more importantly, we'll be able to help other people, be able to tell them how they can overcome emotional discouragement as well. Emotional discouragement is part of God's plan. Why? Well, he didn't plan it, but it's a result of the fact of living in this world. And when we overcome it, we become victors or champions for Christ. And it's something that we can take to our friends or family members. It is a source of light for our community. Let's pray.